name is Pete. I'm the co-pastor here at Life Church Buffalo, and I'm excited and honored to have you with us. I trust that you've enjoyed your experience with us so far here this morning and that you're going to enjoy the next 40 minutes or so as we dive into a topic, a series that we've been in, as you just heard, called Drowning, which I know sounds kind of morbid, but we've been talking about different things that cause people to feel like they're drowning in life. In week one, we talked about how to prevent drowning by never swimming alone and getting into smaller circles and developing close connections with people that are going to have your back. You remember that? And then last week, Pastor Nate, our youth pastor, did a great job talking to those who maybe feel like they're drowning in a sea of worry. How many of you are here for that? Didn't he do a great job? I'm so grateful for Pastor Nate. But today we're going to continue our discussion on drowning prevention uh, by actually teaching you how to swim. All right, and specifically, we're going to learn how to swim in the waters of marriage. All right, and so I want to start by um, saying this. When I hear the word drowning, I actually think of vacation. And I know that sounds like a really weird, strange parallel connection to make, but stick with me. It'll make sense in just a couple of minutes. Uh, And it's not for the reasons you might think. I know a couple weeks ago I talked to you about Jamaica and the vacation we went on there. No, it's not about a drowning story in Jamaica. Uh, But... I want to ask you a question as we get started this morning. Um, We're in fall now. We just came out of summer. How many of you vacationed this summer near water? Anybody vacation near water, beach vacations anywhere? A good number of you. Uh, How many of you went swimming in that water when you went on vacation? Good, good, a good number of you. Now, how many of you, when you went swimming in that water, said to yourselves, you know what? I think I'm going to try and drown. That sounds like a lot of fun. No? No, of course not. It's because nobody ever drowns on purpose, do they? But how many of you realize that what starts out like a lot of fun can quickly turn into something scary? You know, the very waters that we're enjoying and swimming in can quickly turn into something that causes us to feel like we're drowning. And that sounds a lot like marriage to me. It starts out fun. You know, you're you're dating your best friend and you're talking about your hopes and dreams for the future. I mean, you get giddy with excitement as you, you know, you plan and think about what your first married Christmas will be like together. You know, you picture the the Christmas tree in the corner with the couch facing this roaring fireplace as you snuggle with hot cups of cocoa. It sounds so romantic. And then you get married. And because you're newly married, you can't afford a house with a fireplace, and so all you have is a Christmas tree. And the placement of that tree in your very small living room becomes very important. Okay, and then as a guy who has a bit of a knack for space appropriation and where things fit and where they don't, you know that there's only one logical place where that Christmas tree will go in one corner of the living room. But your new bride wants you to move it and try it in every single corner of the living room. How many guys can attest? Yes, thank you. All right, and so begrudgingly, you agree to move this thing, this heavy Christmas tree, all over the living room, only in the end to be proven right that it can only go in that corner. But your new bride, completely frustrated, storms out of the living room in tears because this is just not how she imagined her first married Christmas to go. And frustrated, you follow her out of the living room into the spare room where she is sitting at the computer, staring and fuming and crying. And you stand at the door of that spare room and you call her name. And she doesn't answer you. And so you call her name a second time, this time a little bit louder, just to make sure that she really heard you. And when she doesn't respond a second time, you realize that she's ignoring you. (laughs) 
And because you're not used to being treated so rudely and being disrespected in such a way, in a hot flash of anger that surprises even you, you scream at the top of your lungs, hey! And she's literally sitting like five feet from you. And because she is so shocked and surprised, her head spins around like the exorcist and says, you are not talking to me that way. I'm getting some funny looks. Is that not how your first married Christmas went? Never mind then. Me neither. Okay, let's, let's move right along. That may not be how your first married Christmas went, but I promise you've got stories too. You've all got stories because nobody's perfect. We're all dysfunctional on some level. But maybe much like my first married Christmas, maybe your marriage uh, hasn't turned into everything that you'd hoped and dreamed that it would be. Maybe your marriage has actually turned in a little bit more of a nightmare. And today we're going to talk and learn how to swim in the scary, always unpredictable, sometimes stormy seas of marriage. But I am not going to do this alone. There was no way I was going to stand up here on this stage and talk to married men and women about marriage and only give you my perspective, the husband's perspective. How fair would that be? So I thought this was a great opportunity to invite my lovely bride, Kelly, onto the stage with me so that she can share some of her wisdom with all of you. So Life Church, would you please welcome my beautiful wife, Kelly? <laughs> Unfortunately, every single word of that was true. And it was way it was not funny when it happened, but as we talk about it, every time it gets funnier and funnier because I'm like, we've come such a long way. <laughs> yes, all the things that you're afraid to talk about those first couple years of marriage, you know. Um, but I'm excited to be here. You ready? I'm ready. I think, are you ready is the question. <laughs> Maybe I'm, the better I'm question like, is, are you ready? Because I don't know. <laughs> I might regret giving her a mic. I don't know. He will probably regret it at some point. Well, listen, before we begin, I just want to kind of say a couple things uh, to kind of set the stage uh, before we jump into our swim lesson today. Uh, and the first thing is this, you know, one of the challenges in preparing and preaching a message like this that's targeted towards a very specific group of people, in this case, married people, is recognizing that not everyone in the audience is in that group of people. Not everyone here is married today. So I want to acknowledge and recognize up front that we've got single people here. We've got teens. We've got divorced people. We've got widowed people. And rather than, you know, just checking out on us here today thinking, you know what, this is for married people. It doesn't apply to me, so I can just tune out for the next 40 minutes. Uh, I want to encourage you and actually challenge you to lean in a little bit for a couple of reasons. One is maybe you want to get married someday or remarry. And if that's the case, you know, what you hear today may give you some practical advice on how to navigate the waters of marriage. Or you might know somebody who's really struggling in their marriage, and what you hear today might be able to to be something that you can offer in words of encouragement to others. And also, you know, while we're talking about marriage today, some of the concepts and principles that you're gonna hear are universal, and you can apply them to your lives even if you are not married. And so I wanna encourage you to lean in, listen, maybe even take some notes. The second thing I wanna say uh, in preparation before we begin is uh, much like in the same way that a competitive swimmer would get up on the starting blocks, like Michael Phelps, we just, you know, came through the Olympics, he gets up on a starting block, before he jumps into the water or dives into the water to begin his race. I wanna give us a starting block from which we dive in today. Um, you know, and that starting block is this. When, when couples come to us and they say, you know, we're really struggling in our marriage, usually my first question to them 
is how is your relationship with Jesus? Because if we're going to do marriage God's way, then we need God's power living inside of us. We need to have a relationship with Jesus, and that has to be the starting block from which we begin our discussion today. We want this to be a very practical message, but everything that we're going to talk about in our discussion today, you know, come from principles found in God's Word. You know, because if we want to have happy and successful marriages, I think we would be wise to consult the one who sort of invented the institution to begin with. Amen? All right, so that's a good place to start from. But we also recognize that there might be some people here today that may not necessarily believe in the Bible or have doubts about the validity of the Bible or might not, you know, identify themselves as a Christ follower. And if that's you here today, we are so glad that you're here. This is a great place for you. You are welcome to come here with all of your doubts and questions. And listen, if you're here just investigating faith or checking out our church, you get a pass today. You are welcome to literally dismiss everything you hear us say today. Because if you don't believe in the Bible, why would you want to hear what God has to say about it anyway? Or the other option is that if you've tried to do marriage your way or if you've seen marriage done in a way that society and culture would tell you that it should be done and you've not been overly impressed with the results, then maybe, just maybe, you might hear some things that will be helpful to you today. And so I would encourage you to maybe lean in and listen as well. You might take some helpful things with you home today. So with that being said, uh, let's dive into the water and begin our swim lesson. Kelly, do you want to get us started? I would love to. Okay, so uh, Pete said a couple of minutes ago that drowning reminded him of vacation, and there's a very good reason for that. Um, last summer, we were living in Ohio, and we decided to take one day and go up to Crystal Beach in Canada, because I was really wanting to just be near fresh water where there was sand and waves, right? We had an awesome day at the beach that day, and right around the time that we were planning on leaving, um, my friend Sarah that was with us turned to us and said, hey, do you guys want to go for a swim? I was like, okay. Um, and I'm not overly adventurous, but I get a little more adventurous when Pete and Sarah are with me. So there was a concrete slab out in the water about 100 yards out. Um, and we decided that we were going to go swim out to the concrete slab. We were going to climb on top of it, and we were going to jump off of it. And it was going to be loads of fun. So we started out into the water. And at first, you're kind of walking into the water, right? And then you get to where you have to actually swim because now the water's deeper than you are tall. So we're in over our head. And the waves were a lot bigger once you were in the water than they looked from the shore. And I realized that to get where we were going, we actually had to swim against the waves. I was exhausted. So I'm about 50 yards out probably, and I'm trying to stay calm because I'm like, whew, I'm really winded, and the, the waves are slapping me in the face, and so it's kind of taking my breath away. I can tell that my feet are no longer touching bottom. And I was okay until I looked over my shoulder and I saw Sarah, who is a stronger swimmer than I am, and she's on her back, and she's doing the backstroke to get back to shore. And she says to me, I can't do this. i got to get back now. And so I'm watching her struggle. So now I've turned around, and I'm trying to head toward the shore as well. And the waves are kind of like pushing me forward and then pulling me back and pushing me forward and pulling me back. And now I'm panicking. I'm watching Sarah go under, and she comes back up. Color has completely drained from her face, and I'm watching her just struggle to get to where her feet can touch again. And in that moment, I pretty much started having a panic attack in the water. Everything felt like jello. I felt like I could not move, and I couldn't touch bottom. I, for about 30 seconds, really wondered if Sarah was going to drown. I thought I might lose my best friend, and I wondered if I was going to drown. I was terrified. 
And I think there's some of you here today that might feel the same way about your marriage. You know, you started out on what was going to be a super fun adventure. It wasn't so bad at first. And you realized once you got into the water, this is a lot of work. And I'm exhausted way harder than what I thought. And maybe you're panicking. Maybe you're looking around and you're like, oh my goodness, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this. And you're scared. If that's you today, I just want to encourage you that there's hope. And we're going to do our very best today to just be transparent with you and share our hearts with you and maybe offer you some valuable tips that might help you to stay afloat in the scary seas of marriage. You know, uh, once I made it back to where um, I could stand again, so I'm in shallow water, I realized Pete wasn't with me. And so Pete had continued to swim out there. And um, I looked out, the waves are big and they're very loud. And I'm screaming to him like, Peter! are you okay? Give me like thumbs up. Nothing. I mean, he didn't even know. I don't even know if he knew that I was trying to get his attention. He's way out there. And you know, I realized how easy it was for us to drift apart in that scenario. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you're like, you know, I'm all right. We're married. I'm in the seas of marriage. My feet are on solid ground. But honestly, I've drifted so far from my spouse that I couldn't even tell you how they're doing. I don't know if they're in trouble. I don't know if they're scared. If that's you today, there's hope for you too. God has a plan for us to be able to stay afloat in the scary seas of marriage. You know, um, when I found out that the topic was going to be drowning, the first thing I did was get on Google, because Google knows everything. And I said, how do you prevent drowning? And it said, you need to learn how to swim. I was, duh. Okay, so we're going to learn how to swim today, okay? We're going to take Google's advice, and we're going to teach you how to swim. By no means are we sitting up here as experts. Um, our mentors, Pastor Craig and Carol, are out here. Many of you have spoken into our lives. So by no means are we like, yeah, we got this all figured out, and we're going to tell you how to make it awesome. <laughs> it's not what we're going to do. Um, we're just going to be honest, like I said, and share some of our story, some of our experiences, and hopes that it's going to help you today. All right, so the first point of our swim lesson today, okay, is that we need to learn how to serve your spouse. You got to serve your spouse. You know, I'm going to speak to the men first in this topic. You know, it's been said that as you serve someone, your love for them grows. But how many of you realize you can serve someone without loving them, but you can't love someone without serving them? You, can't serve, you can serve someone without loving them, but you can't love someone without serving them. The Apostle Paul wrote a, a letter uh, to some Christians in a city called Ephesus in his letter called Ephesians. And, and probably one of the most famous passages of Scripture on the topic of marriage, Ephesians chapter 5, he said this to husbands in Ephesians 5.25. He said, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You know, it's really easy to read this and think about this in the heroic sense of the term. You know, most men, I think, would say that we would die for our, our wives, wouldn't we? We would take a bullet. We would lay down our lives for our families. That's kind of innate to what we want to do as, as men, as husbands. But I remember reading this several years ago and kind of struggling with it and asking the Lord, you know, said, Lord, what does this really mean to me practically? How do I live this out on a day-to-day -day basis? How do I love Kelly like you've loved the church? How do I give myself up for her? And after kind of pondering that and praying about it, I remember the Holy Spirit very clearly reminding me of when Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. And in that moment, God gave me kind of the practical insight in how I'm supposed to love my wife. Like he has loved us. He, he came and served, and that's how I'm supposed to love her. And so serving my wife means being aware of what she needs in the moment without having to ask what she needs. Serving means trying to make her load lighter, her life easier, right? And this, listen, guys, 
This does not come naturally to most of us. It is not easy for me to do. I have to be very intentional about trying to find ways to serve my spouse because I think by and large, human beings are pretty selfish, right? I mean, we spend most of our lives thinking about one person primarily, ourselves, at least until the point we get married and we say, I do. And then all of a sudden, we're supposed to magically switch gears, flip a switch and prefer our spouse before ourselves. It doesn't come natural and it's not easy. You have to work at it. You know, so one of the ways I work at this is by laying aside my agenda for a day and asking her what she wants to do. Because if you don't know me, I'm a pretty driven guy. I'm a pretty focused guy. And I have a tendency when I wake up in in the day to kind of create this mental checklist of the things I want to get done in a day's time. And if I'm not careful, I can go through that whole list without even ever considering what she might have wanted to do that day. And so she has learned that for me to serve her, she really appreciates it. When I say, honey, what would you like to do today? Or what can I do for you right now? And that means a lot to her because she knows of my tendencies to be focused and, you know, only be thinking about what I want to do. And so that means a lot to her. But for you here today, guys, maybe it looks a little bit different. You know, there are so many different practical ways that you can serve your spouse. Maybe it is simply helping out with household chores. Try doing the dishes every now and then. Vacuuming, you know. Try doing the laundry, helping out with the laundry. I had a friend of mine in Columbus who actually told me that he purposefully messed up the laundry by mixing reds with whites so that his wife wouldn't allow him to do the laundry. That is not an example of how to serve your spouse, okay? That's an example of how to get out of trying to serve your spouse. But look for ways to help, you know? Plan a date every now and then. It's amazing to me how many people date before they get married. That's what helps them fall in love and decide this is the person they want to spend the rest of their lives with. Then they say, I do, and they stop dating. And then they wonder why 10, 15 years later, they feel like strangers, ships passing in the night. And what happened? It's because they stopped pursuing each other. They stopped dating each other. So guys, take it upon yourselves to arrange childcare. Come home from work and say, honey, get dressed. We're going out. You know, maybe you help out with the kids. If you're in that season of life and you've got little ones, you know, help out with their homework when they get home from school or help out with the bedtime routines at night. There's so many ways you can do this. You know, what do you think, honey, about serving? I think that that entire list sounds amazing, and I particularly like the date one, so we should talk about that. Okay. That's what I Gotta get on that. <laughs> Just like I'll, a I'll subtle note. Okay, subtle note. All right. Um, I really think that these little gestures go a long way, because when we serve our spouse, we are leaning into each other. And what does God do when he brings two people together in marriage? He brings two individuals to bring them to be one, Right. And so when we serve our spouse, we're leaning in and contributing to the oneness of our marriage. God wants us to live in a place of oneness. So when Pete asks me, actually his favorite thing that he asks me is, what do you need from me right now, Kelly? He might be like on his way out to the office and I'm like trying to get breakfast ready and I just started homeschooling. So I'm like trying to get the kids situated and he'll just stop for a second. He'll be like, I can tell you're flustered. What do you need from me right now? And that just means the world to me. When he does that, I feel like he's leaning into me, and it makes me be like, oh, my heart's so soft towards you. Thank you. And then I kind of lean into him, and I say, you know what? I'm actually good. If you could do this one, maybe one or two things for me, and then I'll have dinner ready when you get home. Like, it makes me much more willing to go the extra mile when I feel like he's leaning into me, and my heart is then staying soft toward him, right? 
But what happens is when we don't do that, when we're not serving, we actually lean into our own desires and preferences and agendas and responsibilities. And we like, you know, Pete will lean into his and then I lean into mine. And then before we know it, that oneness that we're trying to get after, I'm just leaning into everything I've got to do and he's leaning into what he's got to do. And before we know it, there's a big divide between us and it's not feeling very one anymore. And when that happens, our hearts get hardened. And then after hearts get hardened, things just start to break down, right? Like you become less willing to communicate. You don't really want to work on the marriage quite as much because you feel frustrated. And sometimes I'll feel like, I just feel like I'm in this by myself. I feel like a single mom kind of running the house this week or whatever. So when that happens, other, era, other areas of our marriage is going to suffer. And ultimately, after the communication is broken down, after my heart's kind of hard toward him, there's an area of our marriage that's really going to suffer, and that's intimacy. So this is, take a deep breath, this is where we are going to broach into our PG-13 material, okay? So um, we are going to talk just for a little bit today about a topic that's not usually talked about a lot in church, okay? Um, But we are going to tackle it today, and the topic, you've probably already guessed it, is sex. Did you hear that? We just said sex. I just said sex from the front. Okay. My heart's been beating like a mile a minute since (laughs) I sat up here because I knew I had to say that in front of all of you. Okay. So, (laughs) um, but I'm really passionate about this and I want to just tell you why for a minute because 10 years ago I was a newlywed, okay? And we live in a very sex-saturated culture and all of my ideals and understandings that I had about this area of my new marriage were all influenced, mostly influenced by culture, by maybe movies I was watching or TV shows that I saw or jokes that I heard made. And so I was taking my cues from culture, which was my bad because I wasn't looking to find what God really intended for this to be in the context of marriage, right? And what I desperately needed was for somebody to have an open and honest conversation with me about what this was really all about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and our culture, how many of you know, it's not shy about sex and telling us what we're supposed to think about sex. It, it throws it in our face every day. We're inundated on a daily basis through TV, through movies, through magazines in the grocery store aisle about what it's supposed to be. But if culture's not shy about sex, you know what? We're not going to be shy either. We shouldn't be shy about it. God is the one that created sex, okay? And it, because of the way culture's exploited it, the church has been afraid to talk about it. And so we've kept it in the dark. We need to not do that. This is the one place where we should be talking about it. And so today we're going to do just that. We're going to talk about this issue and try to present it in a way that's going to help marriages thrive. So I'm going to ask for a little bit of grace this morning. Maybe you're in my parents' generation or my grandparents' generation and you are very uncomfortable right now. I promise you, if you can hear our hearts, there is no part of us that's trying to be controversial or racy at all. We just want to have an open and honest conversation that hopefully will benefit some of the married couples that get to hear this, okay? All right, so here we go. We're going to talk about this today with the understanding that God designed sex to be between a man and a woman within the covenant of marriage, okay? So if you're a teen here today or you're single here today, this is for when you're married, okay? All right, so if you want to ask me, Kelly, how can you serve your spouse? How can I serve my husband? You can commit to sex. You weren't expecting that, were you? Nope. Okay, it's a very strange set of words to string together, but I want to explain this to you. The longer that you're married, I mean, we've been married 10 years now. 
Um, and there are many of you in this room here that have been married way longer than we have. So again, we're just speaking from our experiences. The longer that you're married and the more life that happens, kids and jobs and schedules and craziness, all of this stuff comes into play, right? And this is the one area that kind of gets pushed down and down on the priority list, right? Because we have so many other things that we're tending to and that we're thinking about. And so when you fall in bed at night, you're not thinking about how you can connect with your spouse. What you're thinking about is your 5.30 alarm that's going to go off and how exhausted you are and how much you've got to do the next day and you've got kids to get on the bus and you've got meals to make, all these kinds of things. Those are the things I think about when I'm in bed. Um, and so we have to be intentional about keeping this a priority, okay? Um, I can't tell you how many married couples, especially when we were in Ohio, we would do a little bit of like talking to couples when they were struggling in their marriages. And they would come to us and say, you know, we're really having a hard time. And we would say, so how are things in this area going? And their reply, more often than not, was like, yeah, that doesn't really happen at all anymore. Or they say like, yeah, this is, it's at like an all-time low. Like we just, not very often. So I want to say this to you, and I want to suggest this, that sex is actually the unifying act that's going to separate your marriage apart from all the other relationships in your life, right? You can have friends, you can have roommates, you can have companions, but when you're married, God intended for this element to be a part of your marriage, okay? So this is why we're saying that you need to stay committed to sex. Paul wrote this to married couples in 1 Corinthians 7, 5. It says, do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. What Paul is saying in this verse is that there's actually this opportunity for this to be a protection for our lives, okay? Because God intended sex to do three things. It was created for pleasure, for procreation, and for protection. And our culture focuses only on the pleasure aspect of it. And they don't talk about the other stuff. And I really believe that God intended for this to be some of the glue that would hold a marriage together. It's not the only thing that marriage is about, but it's one of the elements that he wants to be a part of our marriage to help us have self-control in a very sex-saturated culture and to maintain fidelity in a culture where sin is celebrated and sex is exploited. I really believe that this is part of God's plan for marriage. Now, listen, you might be here today and you might say, you know, I have physical limitations and, you know, you might be in a season of life where you've got illness that's playing into things. Ultimately, it's God that holds us together in our marriages. But I do believe that there are tools that he's given to us that can help keep our marriages healthy and strong. And I believe that this is one of them. You know, um, I've heard women that I've talked to, they've said, you know, I've just, we've lost our spark and things just aren't the same as they used to be, um, you know, and you can hear the disappointment in them and you can hear that in their mind, they're starting to question like, huh, what should I do here? Should I, um, you know, jump ship? Should I, did I marry wrong? Did I choose wrong? It's, this isn't how it's supposed to be. And what I would tell you is that you're not supposed to jump ship when things get a little difficult in this area. What you're supposed to do is to tend to your sex life because the grass is not greener on the other side. The grass is greenest where you water it, okay? So anything that you'd like to add? No, I think you did a good job. I will say one thing. She talked about the protection aspect of it, but listen, it's also supposed to be fun. 
We don't have to be boring Christians in the bedroom, okay? So have fun with it. I see some of you blushing, but I could show you Bible verses that would make you blush. So have fun with it. And guys, let me say one more thing before we move on. And some of you are like, please move on. I could see it all over your faces. I wish you could see the faces. They're like... (laughs) And so inside, I'm like, okay, okay, there's a couple things I really wanted to say. So we're going to keep talking, but it's like... I want to say something really quickly to the, to the men here before we move on, because I know we like to joke a lot. People like to joke about how men are the only ones that ever ask for or need or want sex. But listen, women need and enjoy sex too. But when it comes to this area, men tend to be pretty selfish, and we view sex as a means to an end to get our needs met. All right, so men, you need to serve your wives in this area as well. Let me phrase it to you this way, okay? When it comes to sex, men are like a microwave, and women are like a crock pot. The microwave goes ding long before the crock pot has ever even had a chance to heat up. Do you catch my drift? I think you do. Okay, so men, just please be attentive to the needs of your wives. Whew, I think we made it through that. Done. On to the next point. Woo! Thank you for your grace on that. Okay, here we go. Next point. Yes. All right, we want to encourage you to work on your language, okay? Um, it's really easy to get super comfortable with somebody, right? It's easy for me with my spouse to be completely unfiltered. So I get frustrated and I say things that I wouldn't say if somebody else frustrated me, right? I get angry and I say things that I wouldn't say if somebody else made me angry. I want to encourage you that we have the ability to build up or to tear down depending on the words that we use. Women, I want to encourage you that you're supposed to be the CEO for your husband, not his boss. A bunch of you were like, yeah. Um, some of them think they are. Though. Some of them. <laughs> some of them. Um, what I really mean by CEO is the chief encouragement officer. It's our job to find the incredible things about our husband, the things they're doing really well, and to affirm it in them and to say, you know, I love it when you do this. I really see that God has gifted you with this. And to start speaking encouragement to them because we have the ability to be able to actually put some wind in their sails to help them keep going. They shoulder a lot of responsibility in our marriages and in our homes. And it's our job to make sure that we're encouraging them. Ephesians 4.29 says this, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. You know, once we speak our words, we can't take them back, and they can do damage. Proverbs 18.21 says, The power of life and death are in the tongue. We have the power to be able to bless our spouse. We have the power to damage them. So let's be careful in the language that we use. Yeah, and as we talk about working on your language, You know, volumes and volumes have been written about communication and the importance of communication and how to be a better communicator. But what I want us to understand this morning as well is that there's a lot more to communication than just speaking and listening, right? There is understanding and being understood. There is identifying a tone of voice. There is detecting nonverbal cues. There is responding appropriately to offense. And how many of you know there will be offense in marriage? Uh, It's resolving conflict because there's conflict in marriage. It's knowing what to say, when to say it, and how to say it. How many of you realize that, you know, the impact of the specific words you say is sometimes far less than your tone of voice or your body language while saying those words? I think it's important for us, too, to understand that it's not just about these types of communication as well as it is, too, understanding love languages. I want to encourage everyone in here 
today to pick up a copy of the book called The Five Love Languages. And I'm not going to dive into it, but basically its premise is that everyone gives and receives love differently. And you need to learn what your spouse's love language is, because if it's different than yours, you're going to be trying to love them in a way that may not necessarily be received as love by them. So learn your spouse's love language so that they are on the same page as you. So that's working on your language. The third part of our swim lesson today is to ignore the 20. You're like, what the heck does that mean and what does it have to do with marriage? Ignore the 20. Let me explain. I'm going to tell you what it means. How many of you have ever heard of the 80-20 rule before? 80-20 rule. There's a lot of different variations of this rule, but when it comes to relationships, basically the 80-20 rule states that there's no one person that's ever going to give you 100% of what you're looking for in a mate because nobody's perfect, all right? So let's say in a good relationship, somebody gives you 80%, right? That's good. I give 90, though. Okay, <laughs> 90% in our case. But no, for the, for the sake of argument, let's say that somebody gives you 80% of what you're looking for. And some of you are thinking right now, no, 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 no. I'm waiting for this list of criteria to be completely met before I will say yes to somebody who wants to date or marry me. I want the perfect person. I'm holding out. And if that's you here today, I hate to bust your bubble, but you're going to be waiting a long time because there ain't nobody perfect and you're not perfect because everybody's got a 20. All right. Turn to your neighbor and say, you got a 20. You got a 20. I got a 20. <laughs> There's no such thing as a perfect person. In fact, God made it in marriage so that we could never find complete fulfillment in a person. So many people are trying, but we can't do it because if we could find fulfillment in a person, we wouldn't need him. And we only are made complete when we look to him. But people have a tendency to lose sight of the 80 that, that, the 80 that they have when they start focusing on the 20 that they don't. So people will leave the 80 that has loved them and put up with all of their junk to try and find the 20 that they think they're missing out on. And what people don't realize is that when they leave the 80 for 20, they think the 20 is going to turn out to be 100%, only to realize in the end that 20 is all it ever really was. And they usually realize it after it's too late and the damage has been done. So some of you here have been running from relationship to relationship and marriage to marriage and what you used to celebrate about your spouse now is the very thing that frustrates you and what I want to encourage everyone here today with is to fix your focus. Don't focus on the 20% of what they're not doing and who they're not or who you wish that they would be. Focus on the gift of the 80% that they are and celebrate that. Fix your focus today. And I'd like to ask you, what is it that you are focusing on? Because, you know, we live in a digital age where it seems like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, they kind of rule the world and they tend to try to rule our time, right? So we get on these social media platforms and we are pouring over posts and pictures of everybody else's lives, everybody else's marriages, and then internally, at least this is what I do, I'll take complete ownership of that, I'm internally comparing everything that I'm seeing in my feed to my life. I'm like, oh, their, their husband took him out on that date. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, she got her hair done again. It looks really good. Maybe I should get my hair cut too. Like I'm constantly comparing, right? And this is what we've learned is that 
comparison will kill contentment in your life. Whether you're married here today or whether you're not married and you are pursuing other areas of your life and pursuing dreams that God's put inside of you, no matter what season you're in, no matter how old you are, comparison will kill contentment in your life. We need to focus on what God has given to us and the gifts that he's given to us and stay focused on it. You know, we've seen this play out in our own marriage. How many of you in here would be bold enough to admit that you have a guilty pleasure? Could be it. Okay, everybody's scared. I had one. I had one. I'll tell you about it. I'm going to tell you all about it. So I used to love the show, um, The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. I don't have a heart attack. Some of you are like, <gasps> and some of you are like, oh, I totally love that show. Okay. So um, I have watched my fair share of them. And what I used to do was I would DVR, um, you know, at this particular season I'm talking about, it was The Bachelorette. I was, I DVR'd The Bachelorette. If you don't know the premise of the show, it's completely... Um, it's called reality TV, but completely not reality at all. It's a girl, a bachelorette, who um, dates like 25 guys all at the same time, and she decides that she's going to like whittle that number down until she finds someone worthy of giving her a marriage proposal. Super realistic, and it all happens on like a tropical island while they're on all these like extravagant dates. Well, yes, so crazy. So, um, we, I was watching this episode. It was like the final three, I think, um, and so they're showing this chemistry that's developed between the bachelorette and like these final three contestants. And they're showing all these clips of these extravagant dates and crazy stuff. And um, I finished the episode and I turned it off, sat for a second and I turned to Pete who was on his computer at the time. And I said, babe, are we ever gonna get our passion back? And then he was quiet. And then he turned and he looked at me and I immediately could tell that I did damage. Because in that moment, what I did was I compared this false reality on television to this beautiful reality that God has given to me. See, I have a husband that has worked incredibly hard at making strides towards purity in his own life. He's done an incredible job of making me feel cherished and loved. We've done um, a good job of trying to keep the right things a priority in our marriage and it's intimacy and connection that we've worked very, very hard for. And in that moment, I completely belittled it. Because I said, I saw that and that looked like something that maybe we should have. And he actually said to me, like, this isn't good enough for you. This, this isn't good. And I was so convicted. And I've never watched an episode of The Bachelorette since or The Bachelor. Because let me tell you what. Yes, good. <laughs> that is Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit working in my life and helping to give me the grace to identify the things that are not beneficial to my marriage and to my family and to my walk with Christ. So here, whatever it is that might be killing contentment in your life, I just want to encourage you to get rid of it. It might be a TV show. It might be something that you're watching on the internet. I don't know what it is. The Holy Spirit will talk to you and convict you. But what I will tell you is that your marriage is worth it. Your spouse is worth it. Your family's worth it. Home life is worth it. Don't take a chance and let the contentment that God intends for you to have in your marriage be robbed from you by bad choices and what we choose to entertain ourselves with. And I, for one, am so glad that we don't have to watch that show anymore. Um, no, 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 whoa, 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 no. That's only partially true. I'm going to kind of blow them in for a second here. Okay. Because this no, is, no, this don't. is, yeah, this is the truth. Okay. So there was one night, it was before I stopped watching The Bachelorette, that, you know, the kids had gone to bed, and Pete heated up a cup of coffee, and he turned to me, he may or may not have put his hands like this, and he said, 
I can't wait to see the drama that unfolds tonight. It was just, it was one time, but I mean, you know, the Bible says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So there was a small part of him that enjoys drama. Just a small part, not a big part, a small part. I'm gonna get you. For I'm that. gonna. I'll plan a date. I'm. I'm gonna plan a date. I'm gonna need a. I'm gonna need a babysitter. I need to plan a date for my husband. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know what to say after that. Oh, Moving on. <laughs> Point number four in our swim lesson today is to mind your mission. Mind your mission. What does that mean? You know, people get married for a lot of different reasons. You know, some people get married for companionship. Some people get married for sexual fulfillment. And some people get married maybe just because it's the next logical step in the progression of their relationship. You know, they, um, they've been dating for like five, six years, whatever. They're like, well, we might as well get married because that's what people do, right, when they're together this long. But if we're honest, I think, you know, the real reason that people get married, the reason behind the reasons that they give, is they just want to be happy, Right? We all have this primal need, this desire in us to be loved and accepted, to find happiness, and so we get married to try and fill that need, don't we? Well, if happiness is the mission, let me ask you a question. Why are so many people so stinking unhappily married? Can I suggest to you that maybe because finding happiness is the wrong mission? If happiness is the wrong mission for marriage, then what's the right one? I want to look back at that same passage of Scripture that we looked at a little bit earlier in Ephesians chapter 5. Paul, a couple verses later, says this in Ephesians 5, 31 to 32. He says, as the Scriptures say, and he quotes an Old Testament verse here, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Some translations actually say, for this reason, a man leaves his father and mother and joins to his wife. In the next verse, he gives that reason. Verse 32, this is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. In verse 31, you saw the quotation marks there. He's quoting Genesis 2.24, all the way back to the beginning, alluding to the first man and woman, saying that from the beginning, the reason a man becomes united to his wife is to give the world a picture of how Christ loves us. It was God's original intent that the reason we get married, the mission for marriage, if you will, is to show the world God's love. Throughout Scripture, you see this theme happening over and over again, that of all human relationships, God chose the relationship of a husband and a wife to give the world a picture of what His love looks like. I mean, the church is even called the bride of Christ. He wants us to see this. So rather than selfishly trying to pursue the things that we think are going to make us happy, let's instead grab a hold of the mission that he has had for it all along. Married couples, that means that we have an insane mission ahead of us. Because if we are really going to love each other in a way that shows the world what it looks like to be loved by Christ, That means that we're going to have to forgive even when it's really, really hard. And it means that we're going to have to love and honor and respect our spouse even when it doesn't come easy and maybe it feels like it's undeserved. You see, because when it all comes down to it, the way that Jesus loved us was really messy, wasn't it? 
He died on a cross. It was bloody and controversial, and it cost him his life, and it was painful. It was messy. Living on a mission with your spouse can get really, really messy. But at the end of the day, God is not looking for perfect marriages. God is looking for marriages that are willing to showcase what his unconditional love looks like. Culture does not need to see a perfect marriage. Culture needs to see what the unconditional love of Christ looks like, even at work in your marriage. And I can promise you that when we live on a mission, it's not glamorous, it's not easy, but it is always worth it. You know, this messy love that Christ has given us is love that we don't deserve. There have been many times in our marriage where Kelly has extended grace and forgiveness and love that I haven't deserved. You know, I've been pretty open with my testimony and some of the things that I have dealt with and struggled with in the past. And for those of you that are newer to the church or haven't heard my story, I'm referring specifically to a 20-year battle and addiction to pornography that I dealt with for 20 years. And a year and a half into our marriage, I made the decision after being convicted and confronted by some godly men to come clean with this addiction that was still raging in my life, an addiction that I had been lying to her about for a year and a half after we had gotten married, something that she felt or thought had been dealt with that I told her was done before we got married. But I had been lying to her. So a year and a half in, I told her what was happening. And it was hard. It crushed her. But we're on the same team and we're committed to each other. And so we started to work together and develop the plan for my purity to gain victory over this area of my life. And I got accountability and I submitted myself to some other godly men who checked in on me on a weekly basis and asked me the hard questions. And I made a promise to her that I would confess any slip up in this area within 24 hours of it happening. Because I knew that in order for me to overcome and defeat this sin, I needed to keep it exposed to the light. Sin gets its power by being kept in the darkness. And by promising to confess it to her, it loses its power. And so those confessions to her, you know, happened pretty frequently in the beginning after that, you know, initial confession. But they started getting fewer and farther between as I started to see more victory in my life. You know, but about a year after that, one of the last hurdles or struggles that I really had to kind of overcome was this temptation that would come on me when I would travel for business. In my previous job, I was a traveling salesman, and there was something about the isolation of being in a hotel room in a different city where you're far away from your surroundings, nobody knows you, and, and you're less likely to get caught. And there was this one particular time where I had to make a trip to New Orleans, and for those of you that have been to that city, know that there are parts of the city that are pretty seedy. And against my better judgment, I made a decision to check out the sites of the town. And I'm walking down Bourbon Street to try and find a restaurant to eat at. And Bourbon Street, you're surrounded by adult entertainment everywhere. And I walked into a strip club. And I went back to my hotel room. And on the flight home the next day, I'm wrestling 
realizing that I have to, I've got to tell my wife something that I know is going to crush her, something that I'm disappointed in myself over after seeing some victory and believing that we were kind of like there. And so I get home the next day, and I said, babe, I messed up. I went into a strip club. I'll never forget that night that he came home, and we sat on the edge of our bed in our bedroom, and for the first time in all of his confessions to me, I was quiet. Because all the other times, I had tried to wrestle and grapple with the whys, and I had questions, I didn't understand it, and this time was different. I was quiet, and I saw him crying, and I don't, the Holy Spirit was just there, and this was a defining moment in our marriage. I just leaned into him and gave him a hug, and I just said, I forgive you, and I love you, and it was one of the sweetest moments to date in our marriage one of my favorite moments, because it was in that moment that I realized it was not me that made a good choice. It was Jesus loving Pete through me. And I realized that that is what God does in marriage, right? He brings two imperfect people together to show unconditional love. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit had enough of my heart that I was able to bite my tongue for the first time first time in over a year. And in that moment, there was healing that happened. And that may have actually been the last confession I've ever heard from this man. God was able to do a healing work in him. And he did it because he had a vessel he could work through to just love him and to not condemn him. And even still now, when I think back at that moment, I realize what a mystery it is that God uses imperfect people to showcase his perfect love. See, what I didn't realize that entire year prior, all the times that I had responded poorly and wrong to my husband, what I didn't realize is that I was making it all about me. And I was making it about my hurt and how could you do this and, you know, different things that all reflected onto me. And in this moment, it was like the Holy Spirit gave me a moment of clarity that, Kelly, this is not about you. It's not even about us. It's about God having a showcase for his unconditional love. See, this whole time, God was after wholeness in my husband. And I got to be part of the answer for that. So I want to encourage you. Maybe you're here today. You're a Christ follower. And you are married to somebody that you have been fervently praying for. You're believing that they're going to come to know Jesus. I want to encourage you to love them like crazy. Love them wildly like Christ loved you because you just might be the picture that points your spouse to Jesus. And you might be here today and maybe you're both believers and you're married to, you're both Christ followers, you're married to a Christian. If that's you, you've got a lot of work to do. Good work. You've got a mission. God did not bring you together because of you. He brought you together because of the picture of unconditional love that you can be to the world around you. The cool thing about being a recipient of this kind of love, when think about it, the first time you responded and you saw and felt the love of Jesus, that unconditional love, what did it do? It produced a response in you to want to love him back and you want to become the person that he says you are. And when I received that kind of love 
from Kelly, it made me respond and want to rise to the occasion and be the man that she said she saw in me. You know, as we close, what I want to tell you today is, married people, your spouse is your partner, not your project. So many people go into marriage, you know, seeing things that they say, you know, I'm going to work on that in him or I'm going to fix this about her. No, 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 no. When you get married, you accept that person just as they are, as your partner in life to do God's mission together. Your spouse is your partner, not your project. You know, in week one of the series, I talked about the verse in Ecclesiastes that says two are better than one because they get a better return for their work. Guys, we've got work to do together. We've got a mission to get on together. And that, when, when that happens, when we together discover God's purpose for why he brought us together, that is when people find the happiness and the fulfillment that they are desperately longing for. So let's get on our mission together. So what I want to do as we close is I want to quickly recap everything we've talked about today to just drive these points home. And so I want you to repeat after me the four things we talked about. The first one is what? We're going to serve your spouse. The second thing we're going to do is work on your language. The third thing you're going to do is ignore the 20. And the fourth thing we're going to do is mind your mission. So what does that spell? Swim. See, we wanted to give it to you in a way that would help you remember it. Thank you. We worked hard on that. We did. We worked hard on that. We wanted to give it to you in a way that would help you remember it so you could take this home with you and practically apply it to your life starting today. All right? We want to leave you with a closing scripture, and then we're going to pray for all of you as we get ready to close. Uh, God said this to us in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 2. He says, when you go through deep waters, I will be with you. And when you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. If you feel like you're drowning here today, recognize that Jesus is with you. Let him be your lifeline today. Grab a hold of him. You don't have to drown because he is with you. We want to pray for you this morning. Would you bow your heads with us? Jesus, we are so grateful for your grace, a grace that we don't deserve. Lord, I thank you for creating the institution of marriage, for giving the world a vessel, a, a demonstration of what your love looks like. And so God, today I pray for every single marriage represented here today and every person who has yet to be married. God, I pray that those marriages would become a reflection of your grace, of your love, of your forgiveness. God, I pray for every marriage, every person who is here today married to someone who does not know you, who has not yet surrendered their life to you. God, would you give them the grace to love them in a way that gives their spouse undeniable proof that you are real, that gives them a picture of the extravagant love that you have for them. And God, I pray that that person would come to know you, that they would come to surrender their life to you. God, I pray for those marriages that are here that are both followers of Jesus. Would they lock into the mission that you have for them? I pray for marriages to be restored and healed right now. There are some marriages that are on the brink of divorce. There are some people who have had conversations here even this week talking about maybe we just need to throw in the towel. And I'm here to tell you today, it's not too late. God can save your marriage. God can rescue you. God can redeem it and turn it into something beautiful. 
if you will just surrender to him and allow yourself to be a recipient and a conduit of the most amazing love and grace the world has ever seen or heard. And so I simply want to ask the question, if you're here today and you don't know that love, you've never said yes to Jesus, he is knocking on the door of your heart right now, and you've never let him in, I'm going to give you an opportunity to say yes. If you would like to enter into a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience that kind of love, I simply want you to lift your hand so that we can say a prayer together. Is there anybody here that wants to receive Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior? Thank you, I see that hand. I see that hand over here. I'm going to pray a prayer, and I want everyone here today to repeat after me as we say it to support those who have raised their hands today. Their lives being changed here this morning. So repeat after me out loud. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to pay the price for my sin. I need you. I want you. I receive you into my heart. Lord, I make you the leader of my life. I surrender the control of my life to you. Come and live in me and show me your grace and show other people your love through me. Help me to follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.